Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. What a great passage. Let's pray together. Lord, we're grateful for your love. I pray that you would help us to understand it in a, in a little better way than we did before, and that we would appreciate your love, and that we would have the correct response to it. Well, thank you for all that you do in our lives now, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. When I first started here as pastor six months ago, I don't know if you caught that in the bulletin this morning, it's been six months since I've been here at Cornerstone Baptist Church, and uh, I like to celebrate half birthdays, so why not celebrate a half anniversary? (laughs) Um, But when I first started, we... uh, one of the first things I did here at Cornerstone was preach a series called Amazing Love. We went through different aspects of the love of God, and we really focused a lot there at, in the book of 1 John chapter number 4, as, as, God, or as John wrote about the love of God in a very detailed manner. Um, we did speak about this very topic. I went through the attribute of God's love. And so for, for some, this may be review. For some... Uh, maybe we don't quite remember that, and, and this will kind of jog our memory, hopefully, and, and uh, for others, this will be new. Um, and so, we're going to go through the love of God this morning. 1 John chapter number 4 and verse number 8 and 16. Both of those verses have this phraseology, God is love. Uh, John here, as he's writing, he wants to let us know that this is who He is, it is His nature, and, and the fact that He is always loving. You see, God is love. An unusual survey was done several years ago. Uh, participants in this survey were asked this question. What three-word sentence would you most like to hear or have said to you? The top three answers pretty much sum up the entire needs of all of mankind. First of all, The number one uh, three-word sentence that people would most like to hear or have said to them was, I love you. The second one was, I forgive you. And the third one is also very important, supper is ready. (laughs) I love all three of those. And doesn't 
all three of those pretty much sum up our needs. We have emotional, we have physical, and most importantly, we have spiritual needs. We need to be loved. We need to be forgiven. And of course, we need provision as well physically. God meets every one of these needs because He is love. Revelation chapter 1, the, uh, the Apostle John also wrote the book of Revelation. And, and in chapter 1, verse number 5, he says this, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. John recognized the fact that God loves us. Now trying to describe and explain the love of God is truly an impossible task. Can't really be done with human tongue. Um, I agree with one commentator who struggled to explain and talk about the love of God. And, and here's what he had to say. He said, Yet if we would know God and for others' sake tell what we know, we must try to speak of His love. Then he said, All Christians have tried, but never, none has ever done it very well. I could no more do justice to that awesome and wonderful theme than a child can grasp a star. But still, by reaching toward the star, the child may call attention to it and even indicate the direction one must look to see it. So as I stretch my heart toward the high, shining love of God, someone who is not before knowing about it may be encouraged to look up and have hope. So today, my prayer is that this message would encourage all of us to look up and have hope in God who loves us very much. Another commentator wrote, Christianity is really the only religion that sets forth the supreme being as love. The gods of the heathen are angry, hateful beings over uh, over us and are in constant need of being appeased. But not so our God. You see, He is love. And His love, like a bridge, spans the gulf of time. The love of God. So this morning, I, I would like to attempt to cover three truths about God's love. First of all, I want us to see, number one, this morning... The reality of God's love. The reality of God's love. God's love is a reality because it is who He is and it is His nature to love. By the way, as God loves, He doesn't cease to be the any, any of the other attributes we've already covered or the ones we'll cover in the future. You see, God can be completely loving and completely holy at the same time. God can completely be loving and completely everywhere all at the same time. Uh, you and I may have days where we're a little more loving than the other day. Well, God's love never wanes. He never has a, a bad day. We mentioned last week, He doesn't need to have coffee to be kind, to be good. Uh, God doesn't need to have coffee to be loving. And He doesn't ha- have to have anyone else uh, loving Him in order for Him to love us. Pretty amazing. I'm going to share three qualities of God's love with you this morning. First of all, God's love is unequaled. It's matchless. It is unique. A love is seen in our everyday lives, no doubt about it. It's seen in a mother who wakes up at all hours of the night to feed her hungry newborn baby. Your wife has done that many times in the last several weeks, hasn't she? Because she loves. A father 
It's seen in a father who labors diligently to provide for his family. Love is seen in a young man who is in, who's desperately in love with the woman of his dreams, and he saves his money to purchase just the perfect engagement ring to present to his future bride. Oh, love is seen there. Love is seen in a church member who prays for a brother in need. Love is seen in an elderly couple holding hands together as they walk along. Love is seen in a child who draws a special picture for her daddy. All good examples of love, no doubt about it, but they still don't come even close to comparing with the love of God because God's love is unequaled. God's love is totally pure, it's perfect and complete, and it's infinite. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Ephesians chapter number 2, in verse number 4, he says, But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. He mentions God's love is great. Later in, in that book to the Ephesians in chapter 3, he says this, that, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, then he goes and says, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. He said, when you kind of try to wrap your mind around the love of God, it's going to blow your mind. Amazing. Frederick Lehman wrote a song called The Love of God, and he said in that song, the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bow down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. The next verse says, could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stock on earth a quill? And every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole. Those stretched from sky to sky. And the chorus of that song says, O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angel song. You see, God's love is unequaled. There is no equal to God's love here on this earth. There's displays of love, no doubt about it, but none even come close to comparing to his love. So God's love is unequaled. Secondly, God's love is undeserved. It's undeserved. None of us deserve God's love. In our text this morning, Romans chapter number 5, we see several different descriptions of who we are in God's eyes. In verse number 6, if you look there, it says, For when we were, th- uh, sorry, for when we were yet without strength. We were without strength. In other words, we were weak. You know, God loved us when we were weak. God loved us when we were without strength. We'll say, well, that's not that big of a deal. Keep reading in verse 6. For in due time, Christ died for the, what's the next word? Ungodly. That was me. And that was you. That's who we are. And it's un- we're undeserving of this because we're without strength. We're ungodly. Let's keep reading in verse number 8. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. Uh, We were sinners and yet God loved us. Verse number 10, it goes on. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. 
So we were without strength. We were ungodly. We were sinners. And we were his enemies. God loves us. Yesterday, I had the privilege of going out with uh, my two older boys. And we passed out several of these Easter flyers and and some of the other ones that we had left over from the How Great Thou Art uh, flyers that we were passing out as well. So we went to a parking lot and started putting them on car doors and just trying to get get some of these flyers out yesterday. And uh, one of the, it was Luke who was, he had put one on a car and, and was moving on. Well, evidently someone had come to their car, got that flyer, looked at it, got in their car, started driving off and noticed Luke putting flyers on other cars and, and realized that he was the one that put the flyer on his door. And so he yelled to Luke, I don't need God. And drove off. How sad. But you know what? God still loves him. Even though he doesn't recognize his need for God, God still loves him because we're, his love is undeserved. All of us at one point in our life did that. I don't want God in my life. I don't want someone else telling me what to do. This is my life. I'm in charge of me. And yet God loves us when we're without strength, when we're ungodly, while we were yet sinners, and when we were enemies. Paul told Titus, For we ourselves, in chapter 3, were also sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. He said, that's, that's who we were before we came to Christ. That's our condition. And then the next verse says, but after that, listen to this, but after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. As God looked down upon man, he saw that we were not a people that loved God. And yet, he loved us. And he appeared in the form of a little baby there in Bethlehem's manger. Aren't you glad that God loved you enough to send his only begotten son to be born of a virgin there in Bethlehem? I love that. After that, the kindness and love of our God toward man appeared. In spite of who we were, amazing. Deuteronomy chapter 7 has an interesting verse. Verse number 7 says, The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor chose you, because you were more in number than any people. For ye were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, here's a question for all of you and all of, for all of us this morning is, why does God love us? Have you ever asked that question, why does God love me? We sang about it this morning, Jesus loves even me. But why? Here's the answer. Because he loves us. <laughs> it doesn't quite sound right, does it? Like I need more of an exam, I need, I need more of a, a reason. The reason is because he's God and he chooses to love. It is his nature to love. Why should God love us? Well, the answer to that question does not really have anything to do with you and I. God does not love us because we were attractive or because we were lovable. He did not love us because there was anything we could do for him. He chose to love us because, or even though we were helpless, lost sinners. 
There was nothing we could give him in return. And he chose to love us because he is God and it is his nature to love. He loves you not based on you. He loves you based on who he is. Based on him and he never changes. God loves us, by the way, in spite of who we are and what we've done. You say, well, you know, Brother Eric, you, you don't really know what I've done. You don't know the type of sins I've committed. I mean, it would make everybody in the room blush. I think probably all of us would have a similar testimony. God loves you despite all of that. He loves us. So his love is unequaled. His love is undeserved. And and thirdly, his love is universal. His love is universal. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, God's love is for everyone. He loves everyone. It doesn't matter your uh, religious background. It doesn't matter your financial status. God loves you. God doesn't care if you're a good person in the world's eyes or a bad person in the world's eyes. God loves you. God loves all the children of the world, red, yellow, black, and white. They're all precious in his sight. I like what the Lord told Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31, verse 3. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. And one of the many reasons I appreciate the King James Version of the Bible is the word, is the these and the thous. You say, well, those aren't very necessary. Actually, they make a big difference. Because when you take those out, it's just you. And it could mean you individually, or it could mean you as in a group. Or as we would say here in Oklahoma, y'all. <laughs> but here, the King James differentiates the you from the group to an individual. And Jeremiah, the Lord said to him, I have loved you, Jeremiah. Personally, individually, I love you. With an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness, have I drawn you, Jeremiah. You, thee, thou, thou Jeremiah, you're, you're the one that I love. You know, God's love is for everyone. And it's also very personal and individual. We could go around the room and point to each one of you and say, the Lord loves you with an everlasting love. And with loving kindness has he drawn me. So we see the reality of God's love. That his love is, is unequaled, it's undeserved, and it's, and it's universal. But secondly, this morning, I want to show you the proof of God's love. Verse number 8 in our text, Romans chapter 5, verse number 8. But God commendeth, or showed, or demonstrated, or proved his love toward us. You see, God didn't just, God, God decided to prove it. And here's how he proved it. First of all, by what he said. He said that he loved us. And by the way, that would be enough. He didn't have to go and, and prove it any further, but, but he said that he loved us. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. One of the men who most influenced great preacher of yesteryear, D.L. Moody, was a young man named Henry Morehouse. He was a preacher. 
once he preached for Moody, Morehouse did, for an entire week using the same text every night, and that was John 3.16. Well, the preaching of Morehouse, according to Moody, was much different from his own. Instead of preaching that God was behind people with a double-edged sword to hew them down, he told them God wanted every person to be saved because he loved them. Moody said of his preaching, I didn't know God thought so much of me. It was wonderful to hear the way he brought out Scripture. He went from Genesis to Revelation and preached that in all ages, God loved the sinner. In closing the final service of that series, Morehouse said, For seven nights I have been trying to tell you how much God loves you, and this poor stammering tongue of mine will not let me do it adequately. If I could ascend Jacob's ladder and ask Gabriel, who stands in the presence of the Almighty, to tell you how much love God the Father has for this poor lost world, all that Gabriel could say would be, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, God told us he loved us, and that was proof enough, really, but he didn't stop there. Because he didn't just prove his love by what he said, he also proved it by what he did. Again, verse number 8, God commendeth or proved his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the whole reason Jesus came to the cross. Came to this earth, died, lived a perfect and sinless life, and then died an innocent death on the cruel cross of Calvary for us. You see, true love is always expressed in sacrifice. You could say you love someone, but talk is cheap. It needs to be proved by your actions and by your sacrifice. I'll never forget back in 2008, it was about eight months after the first iPhone came out. It was introduced in 2007, for those who can remember that. And I, as soon as I saw that keynote address for the iPhone, I desperately wanted an iPhone. I did a lot of research, read up on it. I went to the Apple store, played with them. I even called my wife from one of the display models. And I said, guess, who, guess where I'm, what I'm calling on, uh, on? And she's like, probably an iPhone. You're right, it's so great. <laughs> I was so excited about it. Well, Valentine's Day was coming, and my wife thought she would do something special for me. And unbeknownst to me, this is what she decided to do. She had just started a business selling cookies and brownies to car dealerships and their employees uh, during the day to kind of help with the finances in the house. And um, so she did this one day. Uh, it was a Tuesday. Was it a Tuesday? It wasn't a Tuesday. It was like a Thursday. I was, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't home. I was working. So unbeknownst to me, she uh, baked a whole bunch of cookies and a whole bunch of brownies and packaged them up into these nice bags with these little bows because that's who she is. She's the bow girl. She put it in this big basket and took, I think it was Seth and Luke. Well, yeah, Seth and Luke. Faith wasn't born yet. And, uh, but she was pregnant with Faith at the time. She did all that while she was pregnant, and, and then she went out and sold all these cookies and brownies to all these uh, salesmen and office workers at dealerships, probably even some customers there shopping for cars, too. 
And she made that day $400, which is actually good money for a day of work. And she took that $400 that day and went to the store to buy her husband an iPhone for Valentine's Day. And she came home and she cleaned up all the mess that she had made so that I wouldn't know what just took place. And I get home and I'm just thinking everything's normal and she has you know, a couple gifts for me for Valentine's Day and I have a couple gifts for her too. And, and we exchange gifts and I open one gift and I'm like, that looks like an iPhone. How did you do that? She goes into the story of what took place to provide that iPhone for her husband who she loved. You know, so that little story just proves that true love really does require sacrifice. Here was a wife who loved her husband and wanted to express it and prove that love through sacrifice. Can I share with you how God demonstrated his love for us, for you? Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul said this, The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me. He could have ended there. But he went on to say, who, who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, Jesus gave himself for you. It was to the husband's Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5, he said, love your, wives, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. 1 John three sixteen. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. See, the cross was so offensive to the Romans that they refused to allow their own citizens to be crucified, no matter what they had done. Cicero, the Roman orator, called crucifixion a most cruel and disgusting punishment. He said, it is a crime to put a Roman citizen in chains. It is enormity to flog one, sheer murder to slay one. What then shall I say of crucifixion? It is impossible to find the words for such an abomination. Cicero also said, let every mention of the cross be far removed, not only from a Roman citizen's body, but from his mind, his eyes, his ears. You see, we, we embrace the cross now. We put it all over the place. We put it even on our pulpits. <laughs> but the cross was not a blessing. It was not a symbol of joy. It was a symbol of horror. You see, those crucified were made a public spectacle, often being affixed to crosses in bizarre positions and their bodies left to be devoured by vultures. For hours, if not days, the person would hang in the heat of the sun, stripped naked and struggling to breathe. In order to avoid asphyxiation, he must push himself up with his legs and, and pull with his arms, triggering muscle spasms, causing unimaginable pain. The end would come through heart failure, brain damage caused by reduced oxygen supply, suffocation or shock. Atrocious physical agony, length of torment and public shame combined to make crucifixion a most terrible form of death. And yet this is how God chose to prove his love for you and me. By being on that cross, by becoming my sin and yours, Christ died in my place. During the U.S. Civil War, a farmer named Blake was drafted as a soldier 
Well, he was deeply troubled about leaving his family because his wife had died and there would be no one to support and take care of his children in his absence. The day before he was about to leave for the army, his neighbor, Charlie Durham, came to visit him. Here's what Charlie said, Blake, I've been thinking, you're needed here at home, so I've decided to go in your place. Well, the farmer was so overwhelmed that for a few moments he couldn't think of even one thing to say. He was speechless. The offer seemed way too good to be true. Well, he grasped the hand of the young man and praised God for this one who was willing to go as his substitute. Sadly, Charlie was shot and killed in the very first battle that he was in. When the farmer heard the bad news, he immediately saddled his horse and rode out to the battlefield. He found the body of his friend and arranged to have it buried in the churchyard near the spot where they had often stopped to talk after the church services. On a piece of marble, he carved the inscription with his own hands. It was roughly done, but with, but with every blow of the hammer on the chisel, tears fell from his eyes. He placed the marker on the, on the grave of his devoted substitute. Many villagers wept as they read the brief but touching inscription. And it simply read, He died for me. Folks, He died for you. He died for me. That's what He was doing there on the cross. It wasn't just some example that He was making. He was becoming my substitute and yours. Because it really should have been me on that cross. And it should have been you on that cross. But yet Jesus willingly took our place because he loves us. Unbelievable. Does it blow your mind? It blows mine. No wonder the songwriter wrote, Amazing love, how can it be? That God would die for me. Unbelievable. So we see here the reality of God's love, the proof of our love, and thirdly and quickly this, this morning, our response to God's love. What should our response be to the love of God in our lives? As we understand it a little better, as we realize that God does indeed love us, how should that affect us? Well, first of all, it should cause us to receive God's gift of God's love. Receive God's gift of love. 1 John 3 and verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Well, how can we become the sons of God? Well, John answers that question in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. How do we receive? We believe. We believe in G- on Jesus Christ. Look, there are a lot of motivations for believing on Jesus Christ. Uh, one motivation is, I want to avoid an eternal hell. By the way, uh, we all deserve an eternal hell, and that's a good motivation to believe on Christ. Or another one is, I want to go to heaven. I want to enjoy the pleasures and wonders of heaven. That's a good motivation. But the greatest motivation to believe on Christ is... The love of God. The love of God is the greatest motivation for us to believe on His Son. So receive God's gift of love. That's If you're here today and you've never believed on Christ, can I let you know that Jesus loves you? 
You need to receive his love. It's a free gift he's offering to you. Take it by believing on him. Secondly, what should my response be to God's love? Well, I need to receive his gift of love and then I need to rest in his love. I need to rest in God's love. Too often, maybe we've had an upbringing where we didn't get a lot of love from our parents. Uh, Maybe we haven't been loved. Maybe we've been abused and maybe we've just been uh, treated poorly in our lives. And, And it's hard for us to realize that there is someone who loves us with an everlasting love, a perfect, complete, infinite love. But I'm telling you, Jesus does love you with that type of a love. Romans 8 and verse 37, Paul said, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And then he goes on to say, I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, powers, things present, things to come, nor height, depth, any other creature, nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look, you are completely secure in God's love. Rest in that. You don't have to do anything to make God love you anymore. God's not going to love you more if you read more Bible every morning or pray longer. God's going to love you just the same as He does right now. He's not going to love you more if you just get your life in perfect order. He loves you as much as He ever will, and it's an infinite amount right now. Rest in His love. Be confident in His love. You are accepted in the Beloved. You are secure in Him. And that is something to rest in. Thirdly, a response to God's love, receive God's love, rest in His love, and then resolve to love God. We love Him because He first loved us. But we should indeed love Him. Mark 12, 30, Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, all thy strength. This is the first commandment. God wants all of us to love the Lord our God with all who we are. Jude 21 says, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ and to eternal life. That's not saying that you have to keep yourself saved. It means to keep working on your, basically stay in love with God. You know, in a marriage relationship, it doesn't happen by accident that you just automatically stay in love with each other. It takes effort. It takes a little bit of work. Now, God doesn't need to work at loving us, but we need to work at loving the Lord, staying in love with Him. One way that my wife and I uh, try to stay in love with each other is spend time together, go on dates together, look at each other across the table with those googly eyes that we did when we were dating. We need to do the same thing in our Christian life when it comes to the Lord. Looking at the Lord and just saying, Lord, thank you for who you are what you've done in my life, I am blown away by your goodness and your love that you have toward me. But if we fail to take that time, then our relationship's going to wane, and guess what? It's not his fault. It's ours. So stay in love with God. Love for God is more, by the way, than a warm and fuzzy feeling. It's a willingness to obey him. Now, it doesn't, it's not completely void of feeling, but it's not primarily feeling. Uh, we need to obey him. John, uh, Jesus said in John 15, verse 14, If you love me, keep my commandments. You know, you can say you love God, but if you're not obeying him, then your talk is, you're lying. 
If you love me, keep my commandments. 1 John 5 and verse 3, John repeats it in, 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 this, in this letter. He says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. Look, his commandments are not miserable. If I obey the Lord's commandments, my life is not going to be miserable. It's going to be blessed. He's trying to keep me from messing up my life. That's what his commandments are meant to do. They're not meant to keep me from fun. They're to keep me from heartache and, and scars and regret. So this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. I read about a farmer in, uh, in, in Alabama, and, and he said, any good farmer knows that to keep your cattle or horses from wandering off, you've got to build a fence, he said. And he said, that's how we do it here in Alabama. We build fences. Imagine they do that quite a few places when it comes to cattle. But that's not how they do it in Australia, he said. In Australia, ranches called stations are so vast that fences are unnecessary. Under these conditions, a farmer has to sink a bore and create a a well, a precious water supply in the outback. It's assumed that livestock, though they will stray, will never roam too far from the well, lest they die. As long as there is a supply of clean water, the livestock will remain close. Look, the good shepherd doesn't build a fence around us to keep us from leaving. Instead, God provides us with a positive reason for why we should stay. He uses love, not law, to draw us to himself. John 10, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So if you love the Lord, you're going to follow him. Fourthly here, how should we respond to the love of God? We need to fourthly remember to love others as yourself. To love others as yourself. Mark 12, 31. The second is like, namely this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Again, we talked about love not being just this warm and fuzzy, ooey-gooey feeling. It's action. One of the best ways to express love to others is by meeting their needs. And can I just tell you and encourage you on this? The greatest need everyone has is the need for the gospel of Jesus Christ. This week, our missions conference is all about learning how we can love others as ourselves by reaching them with the message of God's love around the corner and around the world. 1 John 3 and verse 17 says, But whoso hath this world's good, seeth his brother have need, shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him. My children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Look, if my son Luke and I were in this room, and let's say the, the heater wasn't working, and, and it was really, really cold in here, and I had my suit jacket on, and, and he had just a t-shirt on, and he's shivering, and I have this really nice coat on, and I'm like, it's getting a little warm in here for me. Whew. He's... <laughs> If I have the world's good and seeth my brother who has need and shutteth up my bowels of compassion, and I say, well, sorry that you're living like that. Too bad for you. And then, he's, then John says, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Don't say that you love the Lord when you're not willing to help a brother who has need. Folks, there are people all across this globe who need the gospel of Christ, and God has blessed us immensely. Let's use what we, can, what we have been given to reach these people with the gospel of Christ, meet their greatest need. 
And that is the need for salvation. His love woos us to himself. His love uh, woos us to love him, to love others, and to serve him. Thank God for his eternal, matchless, unconditional love that he has for us. I'd like to end by asking this question. What will your response be to his love? I went through what our response should be to God's love. But you have and I have the decision to make on what our decision will be regarding God's love. Will you receive God's gift of love by believing on his only begotten son so that you don't have to perish, but that you can have everlasting life? Will you receive God's gift of love? Will you rest in his love and stop worrying about how difficult your life has been? Just relish in the fact that there is someone who loves you with the love that maybe, you, maybe you've never felt love before, but I'm telling you, God loves you in a way that is hard to even put into words. Will you rest in his love and know that he loves you no matter what happens, what you do, who you become? He loves you. Will you resolve to love the Lord your God with all you are? And will you remember to love your neighbors yourself? To not just put yourself first, but to put the Lord first and then others second and then yourself. And we talked about joy being spelled J-O-Y, Jesus, others, you. When we put Y first, that's yoj. That, that doesn't really sound good. But joy sounds pretty good, doesn't it? It's only going to sound good if we have those priorities in our lives. If we put the Lord first, others second, and then ourselves. What will you decide to do? How will you respond to the great love of God? I am so glad that he loves me, and he loves you too.